chapter 12. So here's the deal. We've come down with Bibles. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want you to be able to follow along. Uh, don't feel weird about this. People do it every week. If you forgot one, put your hand up and we'll bring you one. Nobody today? All right, it's like the first time in a while. Are you lying? Okay, cool. All right. If you don't need one, you'll need one. Okay, turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 3 this morning, uh, but kind of some background as you're getting there. So um, last week, Nate Zyman preached his first sermon, and uh, if you were here, it was, it was really good. I mean, it was a great introduction to chapter 12 for us and, and helped kind of pave the way for where we're going, really for the rest of the book of Romans, but really over the next couple months, okay? Um, what we see in Romans is this transition from Romans 1 through 11. We have this section 1 through 11 where, um, where Paul is just constantly breaking down the gospel, showing us what the gospel is, how much we need the gospel, how it's all central um, and, and focused around Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, that Jesus is the central piece to this and we must put our faith in him to see the things you know, that we wish to see. And so 1 through 11, we get the gospel, then we get this transition moment right in the beginning of chapter 12 as we go from 12 to 16 and wrap up this letter to the Romans, okay? And last week, if you remember the verses, right, it's all about that all of your life, everything that you are, whether it's here in this moment for an hour and a half on Sunday singing songs and listening to the word, or if it's you at your job having to be a server or be a barista or be an electrician or be a technician or be an engineer or whatever it is you do, that whatever it is you're involved in, your entire life is a sacrificial act of worship to Jesus, that there's nothing that falls out of the scope of what God calls his. That if you remember right, Nate took his shirt off last week, which sounds inappropriate out of context. He had another shirt underneath, and the word said, all of life is all for Jesus, which is kind of like a, a little slogan that we have here at church. All of life is all for Jesus. Everything you do, everything you think, every motive in your heart, all of life is all for Jesus. And so that's what really one and two does for us, sets us up and moving us into some practical outworkings of what one through 11 presented to us. So what does it look like for us as Christians who believe the gospel, who believe Romans one through 11 to now live it out? And that's what we get. And so we start today, what's gonna be pretty much an eight week mini series on how love happens as motivated by the gospel. What does it look like for the Christian, the one who loves Jesus, the one who believes the gospel, to love God and love man? What is, I mean, how does this all flesh itself out? And so this is where we go today. Paul's going to introduce over the next eight weeks eight of these different ways that we love people well, but he's going to give us a couple conditions here at the beginning, kind of a couple of prereqs that helps us understand how do we do this best even before we try and apply. Because here, here's our natural proclivity. You will immediately hear... Okay, go do this, and you will make it about doing stuff. Hear me? If we just came to you, if Paul just writes to us and says, this is what love looks like, it has to be lived out this way, you will make it, I will make it a legalistic dogma that we must go live this way and we'll leave the gospel behind, even though we just spent almost a year saying, don't forget the gospel. Believe in Jesus. It has to be the motivation in everything we do. And the same thing, building off of verses one and two last week, that all of our lives are sacrificial worship to Jesus. This is the way that we love. And here's what's amazing about the next six weeks, and here's what's amazing about love. There is nothing, and if you remember from last week, one and two, there is nothing more non-conforming and transformational than love. 
There's nothing in every aspect of who you are, any characteristic or trait you want to present to this world that is more non-conforming and transformational than love. And so we have a responsibility, a heavy weight to do this well, okay? A heavy weight to walk this out, I think, in a, in a good way. Now, the love that we'll look at over the next eight weeks must be and must be understood um, as a biblical love because this is vastly different from the love that is often presented in our culture today. Love, for the most part, has been hijacked, and we've talked about this before, but we say love for everything, right? So we love God, and and we love our wife, we love our husband, we love our kids, and yet we also love Taylor Swift, right? And we love our iPhone, and we love burritos. And I mean, we just, everything is, I love this and I love that. And all of a sudden, it just melds together and we lose the essence of what love truly is in Scripture. And, and I think we're going to find that it's far deeper. We're also going to find um, that it's pretty action-oriented, okay? That what we don't see in Scripture is a love that is just warm fuzzies, Right? It's not just that, okay, you saw a girl across the room and Dreamweaver started playing and your heart started fluttering and you just did, that, that's not this. That's not this. There, listen, there's, there's some of that. We have that affection for God. God is good in reflection of what he's done. We get that. We, our heart is warm. That's good. But it is tied directly to action you cannot separate. Okay? You cannot separate these things. He who loves God obeys God. Listen, it's, it's all over scripture that there is a, there's a feeling, but there is an action aspect to this whole thing, okay? And we have to get the way that this works itself out. We have to understand we're not preaching a type of love that the world will offer. We're not preaching a type of what I call contractual love, right? A love that says, okay, on my end, I'm going to sign this contract of love. You're going to sign your end, and then if you don't live out your end of the deal, I can call it off. I don't have to love you. The contract's void, we live and we preach and we live out a covenantal love. A love that says, listen, you can break your end of this thing over and over and over and over again and I'm still going to love you in my word, in my action, and in my heart. And it's not easily done. It's not easily done. So what Paul does here, like I said, he gives us two of these prerequisites here to say, okay, if we want to do this well, if we want to be able to apply the next eight weeks to be able to live out these actions well, these two things have to, have to come first. So we get it here first in, in verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the first prereq, love requires sober judgment. Okay. First, love requires sober judgment. It requires you to be able to honestly look at yourself and look at the world. Because if you miss this, you're going to get mixed up. Paul even indicts himself here. He says, listen, by the grace given to me, I tell you this. In other words, I'm just as guilty. If it was not for God's grace, I too would fall into this trap of all of a sudden making the gospel about just me that I would turn this whole story and it would be just about me. I would love me, care for me, worship me, and make me great. I think Paul gets that this is just a proclivity. This is what we do. We move this direction. This just happens in our hearts and our souls. And so he says, listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
And listen, I can't think of a more non-conforming statement to what our culture tells us. And I'm sorry, but listen, you're going to, from day one, it's, you're the greatest thing ever. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect. You do everything great. You get a trophy for just finishing, on and on and on. And the only problem with this is this is not what we see in Scripture. We see deeply in Scripture that we are very flawed individuals. We're flawed in our communities. And we need help. And there's, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that because someone has offered help. His name's Jesus. Okay. So, so we need sober judgment. There's, um, and I, I debated even saying this term because it's not, I mean, this is a church and, you know, whatever. But um, there's a term called beer goggles, okay? And, uh, and, and if, listen, if you, I'm sorry, if, but if you've been in college at any step of the way, this whole thing, it's like, okay, if you have enough to drink, everything will just look better, right? On both sides of the gender spectrum and just in life in general. This is why people, listen, if they're having a hard day, what do they, they go home and they have a drink. They medicate themselves. So alcohol all of a sudden becomes this thing. It ruins their judgment, but it covers up pain. Here's, here's what I think Paul is saying to us, right? I think he's telling us that our alcohol, okay, the thing that we use to mask stuff is, is pride. And, and that if we, if we don't get this, if, if you guys, if we together, individually and corporately, if we don't understand that our pride will inhibit us, will inhibit you from being able to live out the biblical mandate and the biblical ethic of love that we see in Scripture, we're in trouble. Your pride will stop you from loving people the way you're supposed to. You will think you already know everything. So why listen? You think that you are better than the person next to you. Probably. Okay. You will not love well unless we begin to actually have sober judgment, when we can actually begin to self-triage in an honest way and say, Man, no, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm just as flawed as every other person in this room. And that's okay because we have Jesus. And we'll get to the gospel more in just a moment. We have to, that's the first lens, the first prereq that we have. If we want to do this well, sober judgment must be, must be part of it. Okay, verse four. The second condition, second prereq. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So the second prereq, love requires community. Okay. Love requires sober judgment. Love requires community. Listen, there is not a context for your faith that is not communal. You, you, listen, oh, just go through the Bible. Over Every page you read, it's, it's going to be, man, talking to a people group, talking to a church, talking to a city, talking to a group of people, talking to friends. I mean, it is all, there is not a context for your faith that does not include community. That if you want, if we want to love well, to live out the implications of what we're going to see over the next eight weeks, we cannot do this by ourselves. You cannot walk this out alone. It's not possible. It's not meant to be possible. God made it so you couldn't do it, so you'd have to actually depend on other people. That we would have to be his church. That we'd have to be in community. I was, um, 
and we took my parents were out uh, visiting probably about three or four weeks ago, actually maybe a couple months ago, and, and uh, they, uh, we took them out to Inner Basin, hiked up to Inner Basin, and we get up to the top there, and how many people ever hiked up to Inner Basin? Good. All right, a few of you. You get up there, and it's like the windiest place on, the, on earth. Like, I mean, it's just, it's flattened out, and it's just blowing, right? The wind is just, just going, right? And you're trying to stand up, and you get to the, and you're just looking around, and my parents get up there, and, uh, and my dad starts to look around, and you see all of these trees. I mean, the wind's going, and you see all of these trees just being blown by the wind and pounded on by the wind, and then there's this one tree right, just this one tree, and it's just in this little area all by itself, completely exposed to the wind, and this thing is just, I mean, it's like this. The wind is just pushing this thing over, and my dad says, he goes, you know, tree, first weird, he's talking to trees. (laughs) Two, it's not good for you to be out here all by yourself, and I thought, God, you know, my my dad's not even a Christian. I was like, that, you're preach, preach, dad. Um, You see this one tree, right, by itself alone and just the wind's getting it, right? It could not bear the weight or the burden of what the wind was bringing. And then you look over to all these other clumps of trees, right? There's three, there's four, there's five, there's a whole stack of them. And you see the wind come up against them and it is far less blown over. That together they're able to stand the burden of what's coming. And so here's the deal. The burden of what's presented in the next eight Uh, in the next eight weeks, of how we live out gospel-centered love. It is a heavy burden, and it's not to be done by yourself. You can't withstand it. None of us can live out this biblical ethic by ourselves. It's just not possible. And so we clump together. We are the church. We unite with one another. The second piece that I love from just verse 4 and 5 here is that what we find is diversity leading to unity. And this is not a common concept in our culture. Mostly what you find in the world is, okay, because you guys all believe the same thing, you can all go to the same place. You can join this club because you're all, okay, you like this, you like this, we'll put you here and we assign you, and then you gravitate towards people in your lives that are just like you. What the Bible presents to us, rather, is diversity that leads to unity. That everyone in this room is gifted in a different way, has a different function to do in the body, and yet for some reason we're all united. That honestly, if we were to sit down, I was talking to some of our staff this week, and I was like, man, we just began to name some of the people at our church, and we're just like, this is the most weird, eclectic group I've ever been in. You guys are weird. (laughs) And I love you. Mostly. No, just kidding. No, listen, there's just, there's all of these different giftings, there's all of these different skill sets, there's all of these different stories, there's all of these different visions, there's all of this, and yet because of that, the Bible promotes, even though you're different, in Jesus, one body, you're united. I love it. I love it. If, if we want to pursue the love that God wants us to pursue and love of him and love of others, we have to get that we're different yet united. And differences are not just appreciated, but very, very welcome here. You will learn far more from someone that isn't like you than you will from someone who's just like you. My wife and I, oil and water, right? Like we, I mean, she, almost everything she loves, I don't love. Um, And (laughs) that's not actually true. We are very, she's all, this is going to be a conversation afterwards like, now everyone thinks we don't love each other. (laughs) 
And I'm also sorry I did her voice that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dang it. Mother of my child. Okay. Um, and yet there's... Okay, we're just moving on. Okay. Um, so here's what we do. Those, those are the prereqs. Okay? Those are the prereqs. Love, love requires community. Okay? To, to live out the ethic of love that we'll see presented requires community. And then um, to, to live out the, the ethic of love also um, very much requires sober judgment that we can, we can look honestly at ourselves and at, at others and say, okay, this is, this is who I am. This is what needs to happen. Otherwise, listen, we'll, we'll just botch this up. Okay? It won't work. So um, here is the first, starting in verse 6, um, this is the first outworking of love that we'll get over the next eight weeks, okay? And different ones will pop up, but this is the first outworking of gospel-centered love. Here we go. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, listen, use your gifts. Use your gifts. The Bible tells us that, listen, there, there is not a person in the room that loves Jesus that's not indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life that is not gifted by him for something to motivate and move the church towards love of God and love of his creation, redemption, all of that. Listen, use your gifts. That's really what he's saying. Use your gifts. What, I mean, how do we work this thing? I think we just have this false understanding. Like gifts are just, okay, God just made us like talented in some way. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit of God came into your heart, came into your life and said, this gift I give you, that which you maybe weren't all that great at before, you're now really good at. So use it. Use it. You're equipped. You get that? You are equipped with something. So use that something for his glory and his presence and presentation to the world. Use your gifts. And so we're going to we're going to look at some of the different gifts, but uh, when I was talking to Nate Zyman this week and we were looking at this text, he said, man, as I was reading this thing, just name after name started popping in my head as I read through that list of just people who embody these different gifts. And it was funny because I said, man, that's brilliant. And, and I was, began to think of the same thing. And it was just so helpful for my heart and my soul as I went through these things. I said, just, man, think of people in our church that I'm like, yeah, this is, this is them and this is them and this is them. And so I, began, I was going to come up here and I was going to just list some names and stuff like that. And here's what happened. I started, I started writing down some names. like, well, this person does this and this. And, and then I had like a list of just like 50 names. And I was like, well, we'll be here all day. I was like, I'm not, you know what I mean? And then, because, you know, I'll forget one person and then they'll leave. And then, I mean, it's just, but I was like, man, I, I am, listen, hear me. I am so blessed. I was so blessed this week to sit and just, and just think of, of, of the so many names that would run through and say, man, this person, praise you that they serve us that way. Praise you for this girl who's asking questions and, and seek, and I just see that this gift of like teaching and just, man, I just love it. And how, and how that strengthens my faith and my love for our church and our love and my love for our city. And so, um, I, I, you know, just, just pretend I named all of you, okay? Um, and, then, and then go home happy. Um, 
But here's what I want to do as we look at gifts. And, and for you note takers, you, you'll probably love this. So ready? Here we go. Um, f- we're going to do four ways, four ways to use your gifts, okay? Then we're going to do three ways to not use your gifts, okay? Then we're going to do two ways, okay? See what we're doing here? Two ways that we miss out on the gifts. And then we're going to do one thing, one way, that all of this is bound together and actually makes it work, okay? Four, three, two, one. So here we go. Four ways to use your gifts. And um, again, I say this a lot, but we want alliteration because I'm a pastor, okay? First one is reflect, okay? Four ways to use your gifts yeah, is, is to reflect. Is to use your gift in a way that reflects God towards whoever is receiving the gift. That when they look at you, what they see is God, You are to be, we are to be, a reflection, an image of God. And so our gifts then should reflect him in all of his character and all of his goodness. Okay? So use your gifts to reflect. The second one, use them to reach. Okay? Use them to reach other people, to care for other people, both the Christian and the non-Christian. Use your gift to bless and reach people for his name. Not just that they would see God in it, but that they would be reached, that they would be loved, that they would be cared for, that their needs would be provided. You would reach out with the gifts that you've been given. Not kept to yourself, not just for your family, but meant to be for the exhortation of Jesus across the world. Okay. The third one is to rejoice. Use your gifts to rejoice. And this, this varies, but use your gifts to rejoice, to celebrate to in your own soul worship God with everything that you are, to make much of him in how you act, what you do, what you say, what you think, that your gifts would be an outward expression of an inward celebration of what God has accomplished. Okay, And the last one is to rest. Um, Here's the the thing. Um, If you are operating in your gifts, right, um, I believe it, it should be pretty restful. It should be pretty restful. Now, let me, let me clarify. This doesn't mean that you won't necessarily be physically tired at the end of it. Like, for example, maybe, I, I, this sounds weird for me to say, I think maybe I have a gift of, of preaching a little bit, but, um, I, and I love it, but when I do it, I am tired at the end. So by the end of the day, especially when we were going four services back in Redemption Tempe and I get the end of that day, man, I'm exa- I don't know how Pastor Ricardo or, I mean, how they do five serve. I mean, it's just, it's just chaos. But they get to the end, we get to the end, and, and we're tired physically. But in this moment right now, I mean, I am at rest. I, I experience so much joy from being here to be able to open up the Word of God with you guys, okay? And in your gifts, you should probably experience the same thing. If you're a servant, and I, I just I see it, I see it in so many of you, and I know it. That when I see you guys serve, it, it's 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 like I, I I know this is extra work for you, and I know you'll probably get home and you'll need to take a nap. But I also know, and I see in your soul, and I see in your eyes, I see in your heart, man, that you are just this is what you're supposed to be doing. There's joy, there's rest in exercising the gifts that we're supposed to have. Okay, so reflect, reach, rejoice, and rest. Okay, use your gifts well. Three ways to not use your gifts. Okay, first one, to cause harm to others. Now, this seems obvious, but it happens, okay? So if you're gonna teach, you better teach truth. I mean, don't, don't, 
Don't go around there just, just distorting stuff, trying to sound smarter than you are. And I've, I, listen, hey, I've, I've done it. I mean, I've been in conversations, especially when I was early on, like a lot younger, because you know, I'm not that old now, but when I was a lot younger, first getting into vocational ministry and wanting to prove myself, I don't think I was lying, but I was teaching some exaggerations. Because if it was about me, it wasn't, it wasn't about him. And that, that does nothing good for the other person. Right? Don't, don't use what you're good at to harm others. Don't, don't manipulate, don't, don't use it. Listen, it, it's real. And you know when you're doing it, so don't do it. Okay. Um, second way not to use your gift is, is for personal glory or gain or status. Right? Don't, don't do it so that more gets made of you. We see this all over the place. We see this all where, where like pride comes in, and, and like if you have a very gifted preacher and they're working their way up the preaching circuit, and all of a sudden they've made a name for themselves, they've got their own website, they've got all, listen, and, and if, if you guys know anyone that's a great pastor that has a website, I'm not, that's just one, whatever. But when we make this about us, when these gifts are just there to serve our purposes, make us more popular, make people think you're greater than you are, you're not using your gifts right. Now, you can't control what people think about you. You know what I mean? So I'm, you know, I'm not saying, listen, serve your heart out. Exercise your gifts in every possible way, but if someone's gonna puff you up, that's their business. But your heart, your motive, you can control. Ask yourself this question, and I want you to ask it even in this moment, right now, as quickly. The thing that you're good at, you know, and you guys maybe already know some of the stuff, and we'll get into some more of the gifts in a second, but some of that stuff, are you doing it so that people will notice? So that someone comes up after and says, hey man, so I you do that, that was amazing. And then you say, well, <laughs> don't, don't lie to yourself. Okay, are, are you doing it for your own gain, for your own glory, and not, and not for his renown? It's subtle. It creeps in there for all of us. And, and listen, I've, I've had moments, we all have moments, but man, are we, are we consistent? Um, are we sober-minded? Sober Can we constantly process that, okay? Um, the, the third way is um, as license to not do anything else, okay? So I, I've seen this a lot. This is my gift, so I don't need to do anything else. You know what? I'm the teacher, so I'm not gonna serve, right? I'm the so I'm not gonna, and so that happens. And so we get so kind of, we pigeonhole ourselves and saying, well, this is what I'm really good at, so I don't need to do this. And that's not what's being preached here. You're gifted in area, but there is a biblical ethic that we all live out regardless. But some of us are gonna be gifted in other areas more than others, okay? Um, I, I think there's a, and I might have shared this before, and I could remember, and I meant to ask some of the guys, but there was this, um, this group uh, guys in college at San Diego State, and they, um, they, took a, they took one of these personality tests, gifts tests and stuff, and it was all related to animals. And so you got to the end, and you were assigned an animal, and this is who you were, and that was what your life looked like, and da 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 and, and I didn't take it, but a bunch of guys took it, and I remember talking to this one guy and saying, listen, you, you need to be doing this. Like, this is just black and white. This is biblical. This is commanded. I mean, this is a mandate in Scripture. And he says to me, you can't tell me that. I'm a penguin. And I said, I'm going to choke you, penguin. Like, I, I just, we, we have this thought of just like, this is me, don't try and, you know, everything in here that we're going to study for the next eight weeks, 
regardless if you're gifted in it or not, does not mean you're not supposed to do it. We all embody the ethic of love in everything we do. All of life is all for Jesus. But some of these things you're going to be exceptionally better at, which leads us to discipleship. Okay? Which leads us to discipleship. Because God has created us different, because he's gifted you different than he's gifted me, because he's gifted Nate different than he's gifted Chris, and on and on and on, in all of these ways, we can meet and be formed and shaped by each other through discipleship to look more like Jesus, okay? Because we're different. If we all had the same gift, there's no growth. We'd all do the same thing. We'd be really good at one thing and terrible at everything else. But the Bible says, no, listen, all of you are gifted with something. We're all required to do it, but in discipleship, as we meet and as we rub shoulders with one another, as you do that, you grow and you get stronger and you get better, even in areas that maybe you're not gifted in, but we're all called to live out, okay? And so that's, uh, that's it. Two ways we miss out on the gifts, okay? Two ways we miss out on the gifts. One, um, when we exalt one gift over another, and this is a cultural thing, Okay? When we make one gift, okay, as a culture, as a church, we say that gift is more important than this gift, we'll miss out on all of them. Because we've made this thing ultimate, we've made this thing inconsequential, and we'll lose both, we'll lose the people involved, and it's all a big mess. The moment that we think, okay, that preaching is more important than the service that you never, ever see. Do you guys realize that every morning there are a bunch of people who show up at 7 a.m. who will never be thanked, except by me and the other staff? No one really knows a lot of who they are. It is just as important as any other gift out there. The person who exhorts behind the scenes, who, man, I, I know there's people in the church, they just get up, they start writing letters to one another. They, they start passing out letters to different people. This is what I see in your life. This is great. I love you. Just as important as anything else out there. And it's all necessary. We'll miss out on all of them if we exalt one to be more important than another. Okay. Um, the second way we miss out uh, is we forget that God gifts everyone. When we as a culture, we begin to forget and we miss the fact that God gifts everybody. And there's, and listen, I'm just going to call two people groups out in this. One people group that I think the church often does this with is people with less outward gifts, right? So it's the ones that people aren't as naturally seen. So it is usually the servants, or the, it's, it's these different positions, administration, all these people. You don't really see what they do. You don't get them on stage. You don't, all that stuff. And we, and we miss it. And then so then we don't allow for their gifts to grow and flourish and influence us. Okay. And, and the second group, and, and hear me on this, and this one's very important, um, is, is women. I think, and, and this happens sometimes in, in kind of our tribe, if you will, okay, where, where sometimes, man, and I've had it happen. I've had people come up and say, listen, I'm a woman here, and I don't know what the next step is. Because, we're, you know, we're, we're so focused. And I, I mean, my heart is to see men just grow into their roles as men in this world to present and live out the implications of the gospel. But, man, in that pursuit, sometimes we forget, I mean, honestly, 64% of the church. I forget to say, listen, you are 
just as gifted as everyone else in the church, and we must, we have a responsibility, we need to fan into flame and resource your gifting as much as any other gifting out there. And if we don't, then man, there's not a chance we reach the world. I think we miss out on the gifts when we forget the fact that there are so many people in this world that we are probably not doing enough to see and use their gifts for God's glory, our joy, and the reaching of the world. Okay. And so there's a few things that we're, we're doing. I'm going to talk about a thing in just a moment. But when we are, I just want you to, we're focused on these things. We see that we can do this. And so even as a church, on that kind of level, through my mind, as I think this, this is, this is stuff that we're thinking about. And this is stuff we know we need to get better at for his glory and our joy. Okay, amen? Okay. Um, let's land here. And I prom- that's the, I'm only going to say land here that one time, okay? Um, one truth that ties all this together, okay? Four, three, two, one. One truth that ties this all together. All of the gifts, okay? Every, every gift that's out there, all of them, that you can think of, and there's more beyond this passage. There's a ton, scripture, okay? All of the gifts are fully and completely embodied and exemplified in Jesus Christ, that, that everything we can think of that we do well, every gift that we've ever received, every gift that's been given to man to live out uh, the gospel to the world is fully embodied in Jesus Christ our Savior. Okay? He is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect suffering servant. He is the great exhorter. He is the perfect gift. He is on and on. Everything. He fully embodies every gift that we as a church try to. So here's the deal. Ready? We're supposed to, as we look to the world, as we look to love, what are we supposed to do together as the body? We are to be Christ to the world. Right? The church is Christ to the world. We cannot be Christ to the world when we're missing different members in different gifts because we're not fully embodying who Jesus fully embodied. We're missing out. That's why it's an all-hands-on-deck situation. It's a, let's equip everyone in their gifting to use this for his glory in the world because we will not be Christ to the world if we cannot even begin to understand the depth of gifts and the variety and diversity of people we have in this room. Jesus, again, we find is the center of this whole story, that none of this is possible. We will not live out the next eight weeks if not for him being central, if not for the gospel being the central thing that drives us. The moment it becomes about your individual gift, the moment it even becomes about us just white-knuckling our way to being the best outward-thinking church where we get all the gifts into a circle and we start assigning stuff. And that Listen, we could white-knuckle and maybe it'll look good for a while, but it will fail very quickly outside of Christ. And that's what Paul tried to tell us for 11 chapters in Romans. Gospel, 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 gospel gospel. Don't forget it. Don't lose it. If we want to love well, and this, this first outworking, if we want to love well, using our gifts that God has given us, got to start with Jesus. Got to end with Jesus. Okay. So, um, so where do we go from here? Okay. 
Um, where do we go from here? First, um, you gotta find out what your gift is. Gift, gifts, some of you got multiple, you're that good, okay? Um, find out what your gift is, and, and, and there's a couple ways. Um, we're actually gonna post a blog this week, um, probably gonna come out tomorrow, and it's gonna talk about two things. One, it's gonna, it's gonna talk about prophecy because that, that's in there, and we want you guys to kinda know our thoughts on prophecy, and I'll just say this right now, we believe in prophecy, I think it's a real thing, okay? And so, um, but we, we talk about that because a lot of people have been asking questions kind of across all of redemption about that in specific, and we didn't get into all the details of every gift individually here because it's talking about kind of gifts in general, but we'll talk about that, and then the second thing we'll talk about is um, in that blog is, uh, now, what, what's your spiritual gifts? And, and we'll have a link to a test. Okay, and, and listen, I'm not even a huge, huge fan of those things, but this one's really good. And it's been, uh, they're, they're from Central Christian Church. They're allowing us to use it from down in the valley. And we think they did a phenomenal job putting this together. And I think it is very helpful in discerning uh, what you're gifted in. Okay, and so when we put that blog out, go take the test. So in other words, number one, find out your gift. Okay, find out your gift. Um, and, and if you're not satisfied with the test, here's probably even a better way that I like. Ask your friends. I mean, this, just ask the people that you live life with, right? Ask the person that you came with today, hey, what do you think I'm gifted in? Because they get to watch you, right? The, and not creepily, but I mean, they're just like, you know what I mean? Like they see you on a day-to-day basis. They know what you're good at and what you're not, Okay. And, and that happens a lot, too. I mean, st- just, listen, stop trying to do stuff you're not good at, okay? Until get around someone who is and learn, okay? Get around someone who is and learn. If you desire that, great, man. That's fine desire. Get around someone and learn. Be discipled. Okay, so one, find your gift. Two, um, once you know it, implement that gift. So this week, and I, I mean, get hyper, hyper practical because that's easier for us. Right, so if your gift um, is, is generosity, right, take someone to dinner this week, right? If your gift, buy someone something that they need for their house or their life. If your gift is exhortation, man, pull out that stationery and write someone a letter this week. Write seven people a letter, right? Whatever comes to your mind, exhort some people, okay? If your gift is service, go clean someone's house. Our house is really dirty, okay? <laughs> Just saying, Okay? Broken leg, 37 weeks pregnant, 36. So I'll be at the connect desk. Um, <laughs> if it's service, listen, go mow a lawn. Go not, listen, here's a dare. If your gift is service and you know it, you just love serving people, go home, wherever you live, you're, if you're, listen, you're, you're in an apartment, whatever, if you're in a home, go to your neighbor next door, knock on the door and say, hey man, what can I do? Anything you want. Anything you want, I'll do, okay? If it's sin, don't do it. But if anything else... <laughs> Just do it, okay? Just do it, okay? And then the last one is, this is very specific to us. We are, I had a gal come up to me uh, this uh, last week or so and, and said, hey, you know, this is, this, I, I have all this time and, and I think I'm gifted in these areas and I just want to do something. Like, what, what, do I, what can I do? What, what do we need done at the church? What, what does this look like? And we just hashed through a handful of things, man. And, and when I was blessed by the conversation of someone just saying, coming up like, this is what I, this is what I think I'm good at and I just want to use this stuff. How do I do it? I mean, this is like, the, it's a pastor's dream, okay? That and like a, a non-believer saying, so Jesus, who's he? You know, like that one's pretty good too. Um, but she came to me and, and so here's one of the things that came out of that meeting that I think we're gonna start doing, probably not, um, 
probably in the next month or so, we're gonna iron out some of the details of what it's gonna look like. Um, but, uh, but we're gonna start something called the Redemption Flagstaff Dream Team, okay? And, and this has absolutely nothing to do with how good or bad you're at anything, okay? So this is not like, these are the all-stars get together. Do some Dream Team in the sense of, we, we think we need to start dreaming better and bigger for what it means for us to love this city. We need to start thinking and dreaming of what it means for us to sit down at a table and just say, Listen, everything's on the table, nothing's off it, we'll resource it. How do you want to love Flagstaff? How do you want people to, through your gifting, know more about Jesus? And so what we're going to do, we're going to start this little red flag dream team thing, and it's probably going to be like a monthly breakfast is my, is my, my idea on it. We'll probably get together, uh, I'll just say Andy was the girl, Andy will be there, and, uh, and, and, and a handful of us, and then anyone who wants to come and be part of that, come, have breakfast, and let's just, let's just spitball, right? Let's just talk and say, man, what is it, how do we love Flagstaff? It could be the craziest idea or the most conservative idea, but we're gonna start figuring out how to use our giftings in this church to love Flagstaff, amen? And so if that's a desire for you to be part of something like that, it's not like you're signing up and you have to be there every time, but if you wanna be like on an email, hey, this is when we're meeting type deal, simply go over to the Connect Desk, fill out an info card, write your name, email, dream team, bam, we gotcha. And we'll get together, we'll share some food, we'll talk about Jesus, and we'll talk about how we use your gifts to love this city, okay? That's it. Find out your gift. Once you know it, implement that sucker this week in, in your life. And then three, join this, join this team. And, and let's begin the first stages, really, of what does it mean for Redemption Flagstaff for us individually, corporately, to live out the gospel ethic of love. And it's going to get even more specific over the next seven weeks, so I hope you're ready. And I hope this week you'll continually reflect on Jesus and the gospel so that we can continue to do this well for a really long time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, we're just, we're just not, we'll leave already. I'm already thinking of just all this, how capable I am. And it's just, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just come and overwhelm us and teach us how dependent we really are on you for everything we do. And so, God, as we seek to walk out these doors and love, and love through how you've gifted us, God, I, I pray that we don't lose that dependence. God, I pray that as we, as we eke even towards the direction of making ourselves center again, that, God, you'd pull us back and rein us in through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. You'd convict us. You'd show us the kind of error in our ways. And that, God, you'd lead us in the ways everlasting. And, God, we would, um, we would begin to walk that direction. Lord, I, I just ask that you would, um, would bless us this week with opportunities to live this out. God, give us wisdom and discernment and insight what it looks like for us to walk in our gifts specifically. I pray you bring names to mind of people that, uh, that people here can live out their gifts with. And God, we pray that you would just constantly, I don't know, just keep reminding us of the gospel. Bless us today as we get to respond even over the next 15, 30 minutes, God, just in praise and singing. God, as we take communion, as we give, as we do all these things, God, would our hearts be inclined towards you? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the tomb. And God, thank you for being our Savior. It's your name we pray. Amen.